Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Last week, I taught on martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a classic in Christianity that every Christian should read at least three or four times in their life. Incredible truth about how since the time of Christ, you know, every single disciple, how they died. Um, and then all the way through, and last week I went through all of the issues of the for the first thousand years of the church, as far as the horrific demonic like emperors of Rome and, and who demanded that God's people bow down to pagan deities, offer incense, all manner of things, and how they how they were horrifically tortured, thrown to lions, thrown to bears, torn with hooks, just went through unspeakable torture uh, because and and would and simply would not recant their faith. I mean, almost 80% of them, history says, could have been released from incredible tortures and boilings and putting on barbecue pits. I mean, you know, that's what they did. And uh, if they simply would have denied their faith in Christ. But they went to their graves, in so many cases, singing, willingly, uh, willingly going to the pit, going to the fire, allowing themselves to be having every bone in their body pulled out of joint, all manner of horrific things. And to say the least, it can be depressing to read, but what God intends, you know, history, God wants us to recognize the truth that's in history, to say the least. We know that wonderful scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, you know, that God hath made history so that it will repeat itself. There's pros and cons to that. What I mean is it's a wonderful thing in some cases when you see the deliverances of God. But the other thing is there's, you know, there's many, many more persecutions yet to come. So anyhow, that's what we taught on last week. But this week, I'm going to just do this, just this Sunday as well. I did last Sunday and just this one. Because again, it's just important that the church know a little bit about their background. And we're going to talk about mostly the persecutions that took under, that took place under Rome from uh, like 1,000 onward all the way up to today. So I'm going to read some situation, give you some, uh, give you some quotes again, and show you some timelines. But what I'm really asking God somehow to help me to communicate is um, the, this book is a precious book. I said this book is a precious, precious book. And the more I read, and like God, like I said, haven't prompted me to go back to Fox's Book of Martyrs. And these last three days, just been studying other articles and stuff about what took place under Rome and all the popes from the year 1000 onward, really. And it was, you know, hell's entire strategy has always been to keep God's truth away from the masses of people. And you have to hear me. That was the deal for over, you study it depending on who you read, over 68 million people to 100 million people. But the, the smallest estimates are over 68 million people were tortured, burnt at the stake for wanting to have a few pages of scripture in English. Now, you have to hear me. Over 68 million people died horrifically, burn at the stake, all manner of things, 
simply because Rome did not want anybody but them possessing Scripture. You hear me? And I, I don't want to go to the end before the beginning, but I come. the more I studied, the more I come away thinking, my God, and not to be negative, but I thought to myself, how? You know, the Bible says, if the righteous scarcely be saved. Do you hear me? If the righteous scarcely be saved. In other words, our faith is a real thing and a legitimate thing. God's love for us is true and it's, it's consistent. Thank God for it. But I can't help but wonder, especially when I, like I've been doing a bunch of study, believe it or not, in the book of Revelation, which is not my area of expertise, but I've, I've been listening to a lot of men who do have expertise in it and what have you. And you begin, all, I, all I'm trying to spit out is this. I, I wonder how heaven really feels when we, when he looks upon us today who have every single one of us the freedom to have 27 Bibles in our homes and we never read them. We never look at this, we never look at these pages for whom over 68 million, 100 million people, they died gladfully for having a few pages of the book. This book is incredibly incredibly precious. I don't know. It's just valuable. And somehow, someway, my goal for this morning is just to, I'm praying. I can't do it. I don't have the right words. But that's by God's grace, his spirit will somehow touch you a little bit to recognize the wealth that you have by having one of these books. Do you hear me? This is not a light matter. This is your life. Within this Within this book, within these 66 books, are heavenly. This is wisdom that came from heaven. This is a realm. This is stuff that came from another realm, another dimension, to help you and I walk free from guilt, from pain, from death and destruction. It's it's been dropped from heaven to earth through prophets and through through his oracles. So that we might walk above and not beneath. That we might truly be a people that are blessed above all peoples. We are here to show the world that there is a real God, a living God. But that comes when we reverence this for what it is. This is God's word. This is God's word. We have it. We can look at it any day, every day. Every day. And so anyhow, the more I read and the more I was studied over the last week, again, just the last two weeks, it's just, it's really touched me just to realize, oh my God, I, I remember this story. I can't remember his name way back when I still lived in America. This guy that came to one of our conferences way back when in America before I'd ever been here. And he had died and gone to hell and been raised from hell and went to heaven and was faced with God, and God showed him this book, and showed him, I think I may have shared with you one time, but he showed him, he opened another book, and he showed him every single step of his life, and he showed him this is where he stepped out of the will of God, because he he transgressed, or he went against this truth of God's word, and then he showed him another page, this is why this began to happen in your life, because you made this decision, that wasn't my way. You knew it was my wasn't my way, but you chose to go your own way. 
and back and forth, and he comes back from heaven. When he was at this conference, the thing that stunned me so much is one of the conferences with Ed Cole. But it stunned me so much is when he got up to speak, he he had so few words. He was so concerned about the words that he spoke. But what blew my mind is this: he would turn the page, he would take his Bible, and I remember Paul, Paul Cole, and I sit looking. He said, "What's watching?" He'd go, "Thank you, Jesus." Oh, thank you, Jesus. He just had this something that happened to him. He'd been in another realm. And this book was so much treasure to him. It was like he was afraid to offend the page. Do you know what I mean? And he spoke with some of the most strongest power of any man I'd ever heard. And somehow, somewhere, I know God's quickening this to me again. You know, get this back. Understand the privilege that you have to have this book. You know, we just throw our Bibles around, whatever. Nowadays, a lot of people, of course, the media, we have them on our phones and what have you. And that's fine. But all I know is this is precious. It is. Anyhow, I, I want to read just the first verse I want to read. is uh, You don't have to put it up or anything, guys, back there. But Psalm 119, 130 is a very familiar verse. I quote it all the time. Psalm 19, 130 says, The entrance and the unfolding of your words give light. Their unfolding gives understanding, discernment, and comprehension to the simple. But again, you've heard me say that many times. The entrance of God's word brings light. So to say the least, hell is ruled by darkness. Hell does not want you to have any light whatsoever. So to keep the light from you, he has to either totally cause you to deny the existence of God, or if there is such a thing as a preacher who tells you about his scriptures, he wants you to keep away from the Bible at all costs. He'll create any manner of diversion to keep you out of this word, because this word contains the light that will shine upon your path. Thy word, O Lord, is a, is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Okay? Anyhow, hallelujah. So we're going to start this. We start this PowerPoint. I'm just going to read. Okay, so I've got about five pages of my notes here. Let me hold a second. I've got to undo pages. Dom, can we get the first one up there? Is it up? Okay. Hope you can read it. The Bible is a collection of 66 separate books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. These writers included kings, military commanders, fishermen, poets, musicians, scholars, and shepherds. They wrote in different time periods, different styles, different languages, and even in different countries. What makes the Bible unique is that every book was inspired by a single author, God. And each of the 66 books points to the same central message. God created you, loves you, and has a plan to save you through his son, Jesus. The Bible has outlasted kingdoms, cultures, and eras. It has survived wars, threats, and book burnings. God promises his word will last forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Mark 13, 31. <clears throat> Early in the history of God's word, the scriptures were kept safe in the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place in all Israel. For thousands of years, scribes, priests, and Masorites, specialists on the scripture, guarded biblical writings, carefully copying and counting. They counted every word, syllable, and letter. I was going to put up some other information, but when I was studying this, they talked about how in ancient times, those who were given 
the real uh, blessing of being able to copy the scripture. They worked in five different rooms. They had five different teams of specialists. And these young men from the age of like 12 had to count whatever, like one of the Hebrew priests, when they wrote down the canon of the scripture, they had to count every single jot and tittle, like the Bible says of a Hebrew letter. They had to count every single jot, every single tittle, and to the side write the number and what have you to make sure that it was exact. Then they had to pass it to the next room who went over the same scripture, the same lines to make sure they were exact imprintations, exact copies. This was a process that took, they said, sometimes like five years per book to make sure that every single jot and tittle was accurate to what had been written by Moses and to what was down. And this they did throughout their entire history. The Old Testament, I didn't put this down either, but the Old Testament today, there are 14,000 historical documents in hand in museums of the Old Testament. 14,000 documents that range over a period of 650 some years. 99%, 99 99.9% of 14,000 Old Testament documents are 100% exact. They're the same. There's no deviance whatsoever in the Word. It's God's Word. The Bible says He watches over His Word to perform it. What I'm trying to tell to you is you can trust this. God's watched over this Word for centuries and centuries. We could go in there, 6,000 documents of the New Testament from, uh, from the times of 60 AD onward to all the way to the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's over 4,000 New Testament docu documents that are, again, 99.9% .9 absolutely exact. You've got to catch what I'm trying to say. This isn't cleverly devised stories that change from one season to another. This has been guarded over. This book that you may hold in your lap or have on your phone, <laughs> these, these truths have been guarded over for some four and a half, five thousand years. They're exact. And they produce life to every people that have ever looked at them. Let's see that. That means something to me. I can trust in this. Hallelujah. Anyhow. Next one. Thus far, our history of persecution has been confined principally to the pagan world. In other words, what I shared last week. From around 1000 AD, we come now to a period when persecution under the guise of Christianity committed more enormities than ever disgraced the annals of paganism. Disregarding the maxims and the spirit of the gospel, the papal church, the Catholic church, arming herself with the power of the sword, vexed the church of God and wasted it for several centuries, a period most appropriately termed in history the Dark Ages. The kings of the earth gave their power to the beast. In other words, nations, kings, from all these centuries. What happened was 310, in the year 310 AD, was when Constantine conquered and became the emperor of Rome and had his vision of a cross and said, by this you shall have, by this you shall have victory. He saw this cross in the sky and he was converted to Christianity. And from that point on, you know, he, he caused Rome to, the entire, all of Rome to be converted to Christianity. And that was a good thing. That you can actually contest how strong a Christian he was later, believe me. But the point is, that's where Rome, that's when Rome became the center of the church or Christianity. And they called it the Catholic Church. Catholic, the word means universal. 
In other words, it became the center of Christianity. And from that on, that became, Constantine made it the ruling force. You had to, as it were, submit to the truth of Christianity. But what began to happen again is that suddenly, well, because of Constantine and all the nations of the world, then kings of all other nations, rulers of the world, they looked to Rome to find their final authority. In other words, if you, you had to bow down, I don't care if you were a king of a nation, you had to be in agreement with Rome. Shortly after through history, they decided, you know, they came up with the Holy Father, the whole idea of a pope, of the master, of the one who spoke in the name of God for God and what have you. But again, they began to replace God is what began to happen. And of course, the church began to worship the man more than the word that the man was supposed to, to teach. But again, what happened real simply was because in those days in the beginning, there weren't a lot of people that could read. So there were only those who are, were of elite families that had the education enough to read. So they put the scriptures away. They hid them away. They chained them to a pulpit, as it were, and they read them for the people because a lot of people couldn't read. But education went forward and people could read. But what happened is in that period of time, hell began to bring all of its deception, and the elitists that were in Rome began to see that they were the only ones that had truth. So you had to believe them because you couldn't read the book for yourself. And soon, if you challenged them, you were seen to be challenging God. But their superstitions, their traditions, and what have you, that began to bleed into the Catholic Church became so despicable I mean, I, there's just too many things to go into, but it just became absolutely insanity and full of the devil. And indeed, so the holy Catholic church. Now, let me say real quick, we're not saying today that every Catholic is of the devil, <laughs> okay? But you know what? The Bible in Revelation 17, I may read it, you know, the, the, the great whore of Babylon is the Catholic church, is Rome. The EU that we're talking about coming out of and everybody's shaking about, remember, history is very clear. The EU will become the infrastructure of the new Roman Empire that will come to pass, as it says in the book of Revelation. It will become the seat of all authority once again. That's what the Bible teaches. And it calls and it speaks about this man on a white horse, and he's got a crown on his head, and he's got a bow in his hand, but he's got no arrows. That me, and it speaks about how he's going to confirm the covenant with Israel in those days. He's not going to sign it, but he confirms the covenant that makes peace in the whole world. And because of that, everybody will bow down to him. Peace because there were no arrows. But he's a false peace, and he's a false, and, well, he is the Antichrist. And all of this will happen in Rome. But all of this took place, all of this happened, because, again, the scriptures were withheld from the people. Okay, and that's what we're trying to get to. Anyhow, let me just keep reading here. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me start again on that passage. Thus far, our history of persecution has been confined principally to the pagan world. From around 1000 AD, we now come to a period when persecution under the guise of Christianity committed more enormities than ever disgraced the annals of paganism. Disregarding the maxims and the spirit of the gospel, the papal church, arming herself with the power of the sword, vexed the church of God and wasted it for several centuries. 
a period most appropriately termed in the history of the Dark Ages. The kings of the earth gave their power to the beast and submitted to be trodden on by the most miserable vermin that often filled the papal chair. Reasons for execution were not believing in transubstantiation. For those of you who don't know, transubstantiation simply means this. The, uh, the Catholic Church in its original line, and some still do, they teach that when you receive communion, that the host, the cracker, actually, literally becomes the body of Christ. That it's not representative, it is the body of Christ, and that wine becomes the blood of Christ. And that became a huge deal. You had to believe this is the actual body and the actual blood. To speak against that was why tens of thousands went to the stake and were burned at the stake, because they simply said, no, that's, not, that's a superstition. That's not in the scripture. But again, well, let me, let me keep reading. We'll find out. Anyhow, reasons for execution were not believing in transubstantiation, possessing a copy of scripture, not attending mass, you know, we could do that. If people don't attend church, Julie, we can just burn them at the stake. Oh, I can't? Okay, cool. Bobby will give me the matches. I know her. She's good. Right, Bobby? No. Okay. Reasons for execution were not believing in transubstantiation, possessing a copy of Scripture, not attending Mass, criticizing, just saying a word against a friar, a monk, or a priest, not accepting baptism, and, of course, denying the deity of the Pope. Also, you know, you had to... In, in old Catholicism, remember when a person dies, the Catholic Church teaches that you don't go immediately into heaven, that you go into purgatory. And, you know, purgatory is a place like between earth and heaven where you have to pay for the sins that you committed while on the earth. Well, see, that's, of course, totally anti what the Scripture says because Jesus Christ paid for our sin. But what they do remember, they would come and they'd talk to you about how your uncle, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, whosoever, that they're in purgatory and they're suffering right now. But if you will pay us such and such amount of money, we can shorten their time in purgatory by six months. If you pay a lot of money, we can shorten their time in purgatory by an entire year and so on and so on and so on. Now, you've got to think about that. This was something that took place for centuries. They just began to violate the basic truths of everything that God stood for, but people did not know because people did not have the verses themselves. They were taught to believe whatever the guy up here said. That's why I always quote Acts 17.11. The Bible, Paul said, Those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures daily whether or not those things were so. In other words, I used to tell the people in my, our Bible schools all the time, you do not have the right to believe anything I say. You're supposed to look into the book for yourself, or I'm supposed to show you the scripture, at least give you the opportunity. You need to make the decision yourself, but you need to study the scriptures to see whether or not this guy knows what he's talking about. Right? But see, even today, there's so many churches, they depend on the pastor, or they depend on the speaker, totally. To, the, to do all their study for them, to do all their research for them, to do all the reading for them. This is, again, why today the church is so anemic. I'm quoting George Barna now, not me, this major Christian researcher in the whole world. 97% of churches globally, as far as they can tell, are churches that are filled with preachers. The difference being the preachers tell great stories, give you biblical topics to talk about, but they don't teach the Bible. 
it said only something like 3 to 4% of Bible churches today actually teach the scriptures, take you through the scriptures and show you what they say. They give you great stories with great you know, statements in them that make you shout and hallelujah and praise God. But there's a difference. One, you know, thank God for good preachers. Amen. Hallelujah. I wish that anointing would come on me more often. It just doesn't. But every once in a while, when it does, I remember like Brother Hagin said all those years ago, he said something. He said, I'm not anointed to preach, but he said, I sure wish that'd come on me more often. Because everything, he said, when it does happen and I get that preach on me, he said, it just feels good. And it does. Hallelujah. Anyhow. But the point is, you're only going to be as safe as your understanding of the scriptures. A good preaching won't keep you in the final day. When the real times of pressure and temptation and testing come, you need, well, remember Jesus Christ himself? The, one of the classic teachings, when he was tempted of the devil, how did he overcome the devil? It is written, it is written, it is written. I mean, can you kind of possibly get a clue from that, that just maybe if that's what worked for him, it might work for us? You think, possibly, we need to know what's written? Oh, well. Hallelujah. Um, and for that matter, think about it. Any place, any place in the world, even today, or especially about 20 years ago in the Bible, when the Bible is not a book that's freely available, people are under oppression everywhere. Of course, we know that in all the, the Islamic countries, you know, where women are so oppressed and what have you like that because there's no scripture. But even, you know, in Eastern Europe, in Eastern Europe before the fall of the Berlin Wall and all of the communism issue like that, remember, they'd shut all the churches and the people were kept in absolute darkness. I mean, even the very first time I went to Romania to speak to all these young people, I, I you know, it was my first experience with something. You know, I, I had to come in. This Joel Baker, a friend of mine, Joel Baker and I, we went in, had to drive in, go fly to Hungary, drive in, go into Timisoara and go into these different places. But we had to be very careful where we went. They snuck us out by night, and they took us to, I thought, I didn't know if I was going to get killed or what, you know. Because when you went to the border in those days, you know, these guys, the Kalishnikovs, would take all your passports and put you up against the wall, and three soldiers would stand there, and they'd have their weapons right here. They weren't pointed at me. I'd be lying and said, they're just, you know, they were pointed about three inches from me, which made me think, you know what I mean. You hear all the stories, you watch all the old films. And they've got your passports, and it's 12 o'clock at night, it's midnight, and you're thinking, well, hallelujah. So much for ministry time, you know what I mean? But anyhow, but when they finally let us in, we go in, but they snuck, it out, snuck us out at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and I drove out of Timisoara. We drove about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. We drove out in the country to the middle of the nowhere, went through these dirt roads and dusty roads. I thought, where in the heck are these people taking me? And then we finally get out in this place, and it's an old dry riverbed in the middle of the night at midnight. And suddenly they turn on two or three car lights, and there was like 400 young people out there in the middle of nowhere. And that's how we had to preach, because had the authorities found out we were preaching the gospel, they would have come down on They would have arrested them for sure. And, of course, they would have got, well, I don't know what they would have done with us other, other than to get us out of the nation. But, again, people didn't have the scriptures. And wherever they didn't have the scriptures, like I said, people were kept in bondage. Oh, well, you know that, right? I just want you to know when you walk out of here, you have something here that you need to treat beautifully. Next slide. And these are just some of the things. The decree of the Council of Toulouse in 1229. 
This is some of the, these are some of the statements, the laws that were made by the Catholic Church. We prohibit also that the laity should be permitted to have the books of the Old or New Testament, but we most strictly forbid their having any translation of these books, remember, because the scriptures were only to be in Latin and only to be taught by a priest. The ruling of the Council of Tarragona in 1234, no one may possess the books of the Old and New Testaments in the Romance language. And if anyone possesses them, he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days after promulgation of this decree so that they may be burned. The proclamation of the Ecumenical Council of Constance in 1415. Oxford professor and theologian John Wycliffe was the first in 1380 to translate the New Testament into English to, quote, helpeth Christian men to study the gospel in that tongue which they know best Christ sentence. For this heresy, Wycliffe was posthumously, after he died, posthumously condemned by Arundel, the Archbishop of Canterbury. By the council's decree, Wycliffe's bones were exhumed and publicly burned, and the ashes were thrown into the Swift River, just because he had, you know, he was the guy that translated the Bible into the English. The fate of William Tyndale, 1536. William Tyndale was burned at the stake in here, here in London for translating the Bible into English. According to Tyndale, the church forbid owning or reading the Bible to control and restrict the teachings and to enhance their own power and importance. Now the next one, this was an order that came straight from the Pope, the Holy See. Remember when it says the Holy See in this, the word Holy See, that the See spoke of the church. It meant the church. This is the Pope speaking or the representative of the Pope. That was, this was a, an order that was put out and sent around the nations. Know that the interests of the Holy See and those of your crown make it a duty. In other words, this is going out to all the kings of the nations at this time. Know that the interests of the, interest of the Holy See and those of your crown make it a duty to exterminate the Hussites. These are speaking about the followers of John Huss, who was a, an incredible reformer, uh, particularly around Czechoslovakia and what have you. But it, his, his, his wisdom, his speaking, his teaching of the Bible began to be described, uh, transcribed and went all around Europe. The church did not like that. The Catholic church did not like that. Make it a duty to exterminate the Hussites. Remember that these impious persons dare proclaim principles of equality. That all of us are equal. And of course that's not right. We that are in authority have simply been chosen by God and we have a far superior character than any other peoples in the earth. So it's not within the realm of God's will for anybody other than us, the elite, to have a scripture. Remember that these impious persons dare proclaim principles of equality. They maintain that all Christians are brethren. And that God has not given to privileged men the right of ruling the nations. They hold that Christ came on earth to abolish slavery. I understand the opposite of what this is saying. They call the people to liberty. That is, see, this is their thought, to the annihilation of kings and priests. In other words, if you're calling people to liberty, that evidently means that you're one, they're one, the Bible's going to teach people to rebel against the king. Well, of course, we know that's 100% not what Scripture teaches. It teaches to obey these that are in positions of authority. While there's still time, then, turn your forces against Bohemia. That's right, this is particular against... Now, Bohemia was mostly old, mostly Czechoslovakia, but it also bordered on Austria on the north, part of Germany, and Poland as well. It said, 
while there's time, still time, then turn your forces against Bohemia, burn, massacre, make deserts everywhere, for nothing could be more agreeable to God or, muse, or more useful to the house of God than the extermination of these Hussites. In other words, kill them, get rid of them at all costs, because they're actually teaching people that the Bible says we're equal, that the Bible says there's liberty. I mean, it, but you were killed for that. You weren't just arrested. You were killed because you had some of this, or you had teaching of the Reformation. Historian J.A. Wiley said this, It is idle in Rome to say, quote, this is what Rome said, I gave you the Bible. In other words, this is what the Pope, would, Pope said. I gave you the Bible. Actually, excuse me. This is what the representative of the Holy Catholic Church said for a thousand, actually 1,370 some years, if I remember right. They said, I or we gave you the Bible, and therefore you must believe in me before you can believe in it. Now, you've got to think that through again. See, you're, in other words, right now, close the doors. If you don't believe in me, if you don't have, if you have any, I'm the one that God has called. Hallelujah. Right? You hear me, Eric? And this is what they would say. If God is going to speak to you, he's going to speak to you through me. God can't speak to you. God only speaks to his people through the priests. Right? We agree with that, don't we? Right? All of you believe that the only way you'll ever hear from God is through Rob. Right? Amen? Right, John? That's what you believe, John. Right, John? Yes, John. Thank you, John. John told me the other day that he knows the only way he hears God is when he hears Rod. And I just said, thank you. Thank you, John. But think about that again. We're making jokes, but think about it. For you to say that you've heard from God, that you had any something come to you from God, you could be killed. If you didn't hear it from a priest... If it wasn't sanctioned by a priest or a friar or a monk, no, you're put to death. It is idle in Rome to say, I gave you the Bible and therefore you believe in me, therefore you must believe in me before you believe in it. The facts conclusively dispose of this claim. Rome did not give us the Bible. She did all in her power to keep it from us. Sorry for the spelling. She retained it under the seal of a dead language, Latin, and when others broke that seal and threw open its pages to all, she stood over the book and unsheathing her fiery sword would permit, would permit none to read the message of life save at the peril of eternal anathema. In other words, to be eternally cursed. You will not open this book. John Daniel in his book, The Grand Design Exposed, said through, through relentless torture, starvation, genocide, massacres, burning at the stake against every conceivable fury of papal Rome, they, the seeds of protest, Protestants, those who began to protest against the superstitions of the Church of Rome, they, the seeds of protest, could not be extinguished. Hallelujah. I mean, this is the thing when you do study history. There's nothing that can put the Word of God out. There's nothing that can destroy the truth. No matter how much the truth of God gets suppressed, oppressed, depressed, tried to push down, it just keeps springing up, coming more and more alive, and continue. it just gets better and stronger all over the earth. That's what's happened. You can't quench truth. Hallelujah. Anyhow, history estimates that over 100 million people 
lost their lives during that time of papal Roman tyranny. Is it any wonder that God graphically describes this onslaught of papal Rome as her being drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs and calls her the beast? For the unbiased researcher, history reeks of the butchery of Romanism where whole cities and populations were unmercifully wiped out just because they worshiped God in a manner that was different from Roman Catholicism. Now, I want you to just, if you're taking notes, write down Revelations chapter 17. I was going to go there and read the entire chapter, but it opens so many questions. It's again where it speaks to the fact that Rome will be, again, the place, the center, and the Antichrist, how he will come on this horse of white, and so on the first three and a half years of the tribulation. It speaks to all this, and this is where it speaks to the Rome, the reemergence of the Roman Empire. The Antichrist, you see, who is living and alive today on planet Earth. Like I said, the EU is the infrastructure of what will become the new Roman Empire. This is why the, the nations will be sifted until there are only ten heads. So there will be ten heads. Those will be the ten nations of the European Union that become the ruling force. And then Revelation 17, it says, And it shall be upon seven mountains. And if you know anything about Rome, it's upon the seven mountains of Rome. So it's speaking of Rome very clearly. It's, it's what they call apocalyptic literature. But apocalyptic literature uses, word, uses pictures to teach. But all you have to do is read a little further, and it tells you what those things are. You know, what, like Jesus with seven stars in his hand, of the seven spirits of God. And it says a little bit later what these things are. But anyhow, re read Revelation 17 a little bit more for yourself. I don't want to go there. Now, I'm going to tell you right from the front, it is true that from around the year 1000 forward, for the first, like, next 500 years, the main persecution was Jews, to say the least. Every, I mean, it's so awesome, it's so incredibly evident, you know, that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Where there were Jewish people, there, were, there, there was success and there was prosperity, you hear me? People prospered and went forward. And the Jewish people would work among the rest of the people in the church. But the church got so threatened by Jewish communities because of how they would prosper, because of the wisdom. You know, they prospered because they had more wisdom. They operated according to the law. They operated according to the wisdom that came from heaven. And no other nation liked that at all. So they blamed everything on the Jews. They blamed everything on the Jews. But now, let me start reading it. In 1099, the Roman Catholic Crusaders massacred 70,000 Muslims and Jews when they captured Jerusalem. You know, you've heard of the Crusades. I'm just going to read these quickly. From 1208, we up there? Yeah. From 1208 to 1226, what was called the Albigensian, Albigensian, I can't read it right, the Albigensian Crusades in southern France. Roman Catholic Crusaders slaughter approximately 20,000 citizens of Bézier, France, on July 22, 1209. Albigensian Christians and Catholics were slain. By the time the Roman Catholic armies finished their crusade, almost the entire population of southern France, mostly Albigensian Christians, had been exterminated. During the 6th century of Papal Inquisition that began in the 13th century, up to 50 million people were killed. And again, I want you to keep remembering, why were they killed? Because they would not accept baptism. 
They spoke against transubstantiation. They read scripture. They found scripture that had been put. Well, this doesn't happen until the 1500s when the scripture gets into English. But they spoke against Rome in any they to criticize a friar walking by a you know a priest a priest walking by. If you said a comment about his robe, they would burn you at the stake. You know it because they held absolute supremacy of power across most of the known earth at this time, the Roman Catholic Church. At 1236, Roman Catholic Crusaders slaughtered Jews in the Anjou and the Poitou regions of western France. The Catholic Crusaders trampled to death under their horses 3,000 Jews who refused baptism. In other words, they wouldn't convert. Now, again, we just read that quickly. But I wish you could picture 3,000 people. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Well, I, I don't. let's say there's just 120 people in here this morning, okay? What, you know, what would you do if right now, you, you know, suddenly you hear all this clatter and up the stairs come about a thousand policemen with their batons and their weapons and they literally walk in with no statements above whatsoever because you're meeting in a place where you're being taught the Bible and they come in right now. Back there were depots sitting smiling. Back there were Dez's leaning up against the wall or Mark's smiling, Caroline sitting and they literally walk in and they begin to bash the brains out of the first people they see. The screaming begins, the yelling begins, but it makes no difference. Every single one of you try to jump up, but they swarm you and you're beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. Or if you're outside, think about all the horses. If you've ever seen that changing of the guard or all these wonderful soldiers on horses, think about the fact three they had so many, well, they, uh, this one, I think, as I remember, there was like 10,000 soldiers on, Catholic soldiers on horseback. And they trample 3,000 Jews. They trample them. They rush into the crowds. They get all the Jews into one place, and they just rush at them and just let the horses rear up and kick them and just and slaughter them by just trampling over. In other words, you see, it's not a movie. This is what TV does to us today. Television today, I love action movies and what have you, but it is truth. They desensitize you to the reality of death. Do you hear me? They desensitize you to the reality of what conflict looks like. This is why guys who go to war and are in combat, they a lot of them come back different. And they try to be the same again, you know, post-traumatic you know, stress syndrome. They try to be the same but they can never be the same because of what they witnessed. My closest friend, Wayne Farley, who's dead, was one of my best buddies. He had the number two most confirmed hand-to-hand -hand kills in all of the Vietnam conflict. He had 72 confirmed hand-to-hand -hand kills. He was a member of what they called the, well, they called them terror squads then, but they were SEAL teams where they dropped these guys off behind enemy lines and leave them in there. Your life, expect life expectancy was two weeks. They had to go into the jungles behind enemy lines, and their job was to go into little Vietnam villages where the Viet Cong were, and their job was basically, none of us knew this until he died, I'll explain it in a moment, but his job was to go in here, and they would sneak up on the soldiers, and they would kill them, and do things that you're not supposed to do in war, but they did, you know, to cut their ears off, cut their noses off, and what have you, to wreak care, so that these people understood that the Viet Cong cannot protect you. 
The life expectancy was two weeks. They always had these swift boats. You hear, if you've ever studied or anything about the Vietnam War, the swift boats that would go into the water. Swift boats would go up and bring them back out. But they couldn't find Wayne. And they just said he was dead. They reported to his father in my hometown, Bakersfield, that he was dead. Farley's florist. He had, his dad had a florist shop in my hometown. But um, they found him 15 weeks later. He had been in there for over three months. Yeah, over three months. And when they found him, he was like a wild man. His eyes, they said, he, I, they, I've, I looked at the pictures of him, but his eyes were like, you talk about the thousand-yard stare, they talk about a war, but his eyes were like this. I mean, spooky, out-of-body stuff. Anyhow, they brought him. It's a, He was changed forever. Uh, they brought him into, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of this? What was the name of the city in the southern part of Vietnam where the Americans had their headquarters? What? Yeah, Saigon. Thank you. See, I knew there was somebody intelligent. But they brought him back when they brought to like defusing for a bit, and they were just two other captains were walking him down the road. And like I said, he was an animal now. And he's walking down the street with these guys in Saigon, and a captain walked by. It was newly appointed. It was over there. Never seen any combat. We find any of it. But the captain walked by. Wayne didn't salute him. So the captain walked up to him and said, What did you blah, 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 got in his face and said, Why, did you, why didn't you salute me or what have you? And Wayne just snapped and grabbed him and basically he killed him. And about, he killed him with two blows. So then he was thrown to the brig. He was shipped back, put into cells in America, put into the penitentiary and a federal penitentiary. But the CIA was behind the terror squads. They got him out. Long story short, send him to a, a Olive Knowles um, a hospital in Northwood. Northwood, Northwood is just over the, by the Ridge Route. Northridge. Northridge, a hospital there. He's there for three and a half years to detoxify. What happened? Then he comes back home, comes to Bakersfield, and Rod and Wayne get reacquainted in 1969. Well, we're still at the bit of the hippie movement, and he was a best friend of mine. So suddenly I'm with Wayne again. And in those days, it was still the happy hippie days. Happy, happy hippies. Hallelujah. We were all happy hippies running around just, you know, doing drugs, smoking weed, having a good time. Da, 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 da. But I didn't know anything about all this. I didn't know anything about what had happened in, his, in the, his Vietnam. All I knew that he was very different. And he just sat, and he just kind of smiled, and he'd laugh a little bit. And he'd smoke some weed, and he'd just laugh a little bit. But we never knew anything about him. And then one day, in those days, you see, that's when the hippie days started to change into violent days. We had guys in those days, forgive me, you're going to laugh, but we called them thumpers. In other words, guys who wanted to beat up hippies. Do you know what I mean? And so they would come to the park like where all of us were, but he's just kicking back. There'd always be 150, 200 people in the park, guys, girls, sitting back, listening to music, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin, listening to all the stuff. Creed is Clearwater Revival. You guys are so young. <laughs> but listening to all this stuff, you know what I mean? And, uh, but he had this dog named Jude. Hey, Jude. And he had this German shepherd. This was his love. And we're all sitting there, Wayne and myself, another guy named Doug, are sitting uh, on, leaning up against a car next to Elm Grove Park there in Bakersfield. And all of a sudden, these two guys run over and said, Wayne, Wayne, these guys over there, these thumps, they're over there kicking Jude. They're kicking your dog, and they're hurting this dog. Well, like a lightning bolt. I mean, I, I, I'm reliving it right now. I had no idea I was going to share this story. I don't even, forgive me. 
I'm trying to talk about the reality when something actually happens to you. Unless you've been there, you don't know what it's like. Wayne's gone. He runs over there. By the time Doug and I get there, there's four guys that have been kicking, beating on his dog. Three of them are knocked out cold. But, you know, just boom, 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 because he knows what to do. <laughs> he's a killer. And we grab him. He's got the fourth guy. Forgive me, guys. I know the girls, all you girls, shut your ears now. He's got this guy on the ground. He's got his thumbs in his mouth, and he's ripping his mouth open. <laughs> just ripping his mouth. I mean, just ripping his mouth open. And I'm going, Wayne, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> no, but we had to rip him off, pull him off, take him out of the way, what have you. And he just, but anyhow, he'd just been, anyhow, and I had, didn't, I didn't learn this story until, bless his heart, years go by, he becomes a hard hat diver. He goes up by the bay in San Francisco. You, you, a guy lives through all this stuff, man. And he gets up there and he's in a bar and he's having a beer with a friend. And some guy says something to him, uh, calls him a hippie because he always used to wear this leather hat in those days that we used to make leather hats. It was a big deal in the hippie days to have thick leather hats that we wove ourselves. I used to work at a head shop. You know what a head shop is? Me and one, a psychedelic shop. We're the guys that sold all the black light posters, all the incense, any type of psychedelic material you wanted. Rod and Debbie had it. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I'm remembering that. <laughs> Happy days are here again. <laughs> oh my God. But anyhow, he's up there and somebody makes fun of his hat. And... Um, you know, and Wayne, the, the bartender and the, the witnesses said, Wayne looked at the guy and just laughed, said, yeah, 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 and flipped him a bird. And the guy pulled out a thirty-eight and shot him dead. He survives all of that stuff. A few years in Vietnam, 12, 15, 15 weeks behind enemy lines, 72 confirmed kills, hand-to-hand. Hand-to-hand, brother. you got to understand. Hand-to-hand, proven, verified, hand-to-hand. Dude knew he knew how to handle himself, and he gets killed in a bar by some stupid. Anyhow, well, when after he dies, his father called me. His Mister, he asked me if I would come to his house and help him look through some of Wayne's old stuff. And we started looking stuff, and that's when all these documents came out that his father had had that had been secreted away. All this stuff, literally, it's like it sounds like a movie, but CIA stuff that had been declassified about what he'd done what he lived through, the verifications, everything in the hospital treatments, and just, I read this stuff, I, I, it blew my mind. Anyhow, that was a very sad day for me when I learned about him. But what I'm trying to point out is here, people are being trampled to death because they don't obey Rome. Because one group of people have the scriptures, and hell has done its job Keep the scriptures away from the people. I'm just trying to say incredible prices have been paid to hold one of these. I can hold this up freely right here. Do you understand? See, you don't understand really. I don't understand really. I, I can have as many Bibles as I want. And I can't help but think, you know, what does God think about us? When we make so many excuses about life, about our choices, 
You see, we can't say we didn't know. I said we can't say we didn't know. This is why you do have to find a place. And don't please don't think we're trying to pat ourselves on the back. But you do have to find a place where you're being taught the Bible. And I, I don't just, just smile. I'm thinking of like Anne back there. But like Peter now. Like Peter taking his time. Peter Belling taking his time. I miss Pete. <sighs> I'm not just saying that because you're there. But I miss him. I told, you know, I told her last week. It's funny. Last week. And, you know, and I taught this first session Saturday, the night before, when I, well, when I woke up on Sunday morning, I had an email from Peter Bellingham. Seriously. It said from Peter Bellingham. And, of course, it's one of those phishing, you know how one of those phishing sites that gets somebody's email? But all I know is I sit there and I went, what? I mean, you understand, I'm looking. And I thought, oh, my God. Pete's been gone over a year, and he's still going to email me and tell me to shorten my messages. <laughs> you know, but like, he, Pete took all that time to write that manual about all the in-him scriptures. He loved to study the Word, and he knew, and Pete really held that dear, you know. And he and I would talk about it, but that's why he took time to do that. And you do. You need to look at that stuff. You need to understand. That's why Anne loves it. That's why Anne loves the scriptures so much. She, they led one of the best Bible schools in all South Africa. They did, and it's, it's the truth. You know, it's the truth. That guy, their lead, is still considered to be one of the greatest spiritual leaders of South Africa. I, I can't even think of his name. What's his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't hear you good enough, but yeah, I heard it. <laughs> Anyhow, this book. So, oh well, forgive me for all that aside. Catholic crusaders trampled to death under the horse 3,000 Jews because they refused to be baptized, basically to convert. 1243, Roman Catholic mobs burn alive all the Jews in Berlitz, Germany, near Berlin. 1298, Roman Catholic mobs burn alive all the Jews in Rottingen. April 26, 1349, Roman Catholic mobs burn to death all the Jews in Germansheim, Germany. 1348, 1349, the Jews are blamed for the bubonic plague. See, I don't care what happened, it's the Jews' fault. The Jews are blamed for the bubonic plague. Author Dave Hunt tells us, quote, accused of causing the Black Death, Jews were rounded up by Roman Catholic mobs, hanged, burned, and drowned by the thousands in revenge. By the thousands. You understand, you walk into a community here, think about, in other words, you go to Golders Green, Every single Jew in Golders Green is killed and thrown into the Thames. 1389, oops, I'm sorry, 1348 49, Jews are rounded up, I'm sorry, hang burned. 1389, Roman Catholic mobs murdered 3,000 Jews in Prague when they refused to be baptized. 1481 to 1483, at the direction of the Roman Catholic Inquisitors, authorities burned at the stake at least 2,000 people during the first two years of the Spanish Inquisition. 1540 to 1570, Roman Catholic armies butchered at least 900,000 Waldensian Christians of all ages during this 30-year period. 1550 to 1560, the Roman Catholic troops, now this is when they began to murder the Protestants, the Reformers, those who had heard the truth that came from Martin Luther, when Martin Luther had read and suddenly saw the just shall live by faith. That was the thing that changed him when he read the words, the just shall live by faith. Not by superstition, 
not by tradition. Remember, Jesus said, you make the word of God of no effect by your tradition. All the Catholic Church has done is they created ritual and tradition, and you had to do what we did. They came up with these clever things, how to beg, paying indulgences, how to pay yourself, pay your way out of purgatory. All, there were all manner of things, and they had these statements that were made about how to live that had nothing to do with Scripture, but nobody knew any different. But it was this point here, because the Scriptures had been now translated into English, that people began to protest against Rome and speak against and dare to speak against the Roman Catholic Church. So they became Protestants to protest. In 1550 to 1560, Roman Catholic troops slaughtered at least a quarter of a million. See, don't just read numbers. Think about this. 250,000 Dutch Protestants via torture, hanging, and burning in a 10-year period. 25,000 a year. Remember, the populations were much, much less than we're talking about so much of a territory being destroyed. 1553 to 1558, one of the darkest times, to say the least, the beginning in England's history, because that's when Mary, Queen Mary, who was called Bloody Mary, because she was staunch Roman Catholic, and she wanted to reinstitute the Catholic Church here in England. And she wanted anybody that was a reform, anybody that listened to anything that Wycliffe had done, anything that did anything that Calvin had said, anything that any of those people had said, John Knox, to any, any of them, you were put to death. Anyhow, 1553 to 1558, Roman Catholic Queen Mary I of England, a.k.a. Bloody Mary, attempts to bring England back under the yoke of papal tyranny. During her reign, approximately 200 men and women are burned at the stake. Her victims were bishops, scholars, and other Protestant leaders. That's another thing when you read that I, if I had more time to go into. To understand of hundreds of thousands of people are being killed, and some of them were the most prominent business people, the prominent scholars, the prominent literary people, the prominent artists. In other words, some of the most gifted men and women who were alive were the ones that were destroyed. In other words, you think about how they quenched their own society opportunity to become great by killing all these incredible people. 1572, this was a big one. This is another St. Bar Bartholomew Day's Massacre. French Roman Catholic soldiers began killing Protestants in Paris on the night of August 24, 1572. The soldiers killed at least 10,000 Protestants during the first three days. Again, we're talking about a Protestant, somebody that had in their hand a page or two of Scripture in their language. Okay? That's what we're talking about. The soldiers killed at least 10,000 Protestants during the first three days. At least 8,000 more Protestants were killed as the slaughter spread to the countryside. 1618 to 1648 was what called the Thirty Years' War. This bloody religious war is planned, instigated, orchestrated by the Roman Catholic Jesuit order and its agents in an attempt to exterminate all the Protestants in Europe. Many countries, full countries in Central Europe, lose up to half their population. 1641 to 1649, eight years of Jesuit-instigated Roman Catholic butchery of Irish. Over, they came to Ireland, where, remember, St. Andrew had brought the gospel. It said they instigated that eight years of Jesuit-instigated Roman Catholic butchery of Irish Protestants claims the life of at least 100,000 Protestants in Ireland. 1685, a French Roman, French Roman Catholic soldier slaughtered approximately 500,000 French Protestant Huguenots on the orders of the Roman Catholic King Louis XIV of France. 
So that's a basic timeline. Now I'm going to try to read the rest of these real quickly because I don't want to, I don't want you to get so mad at me that you hang me up or burn me by the stake. If you burn me in the stake, you're going to need a lot of barbecue coal. Dominic was a priest, not Dom in the back, by the way. That's, it's not our Dom. Our Dom was a nice guy. But Dominic, a particular priest, was extremely zealous for the cause of popery. This Dominic instituted an order which from him is called the, what we still have today, the order, order of the Dominican Friars. And the members of this order have ever since been the principal inquisitors in the various inquisitions in the world. The power of the inquisitors was unlimited. They proceeded against whom they pleased without any consideration of age, sex, or rank. Let the accusers, in other words, the person that brings the accusation, be ever so infamous. In other words, a murderer can come and say something. That doesn't make any difference. If they say something and get a Protestant, we believe it. Let the accusers be ever so infamous. The accusation was deemed valid, and even anonymous information sent by letter without sufficient evidence. Now, in other words, all I have to do, if you give me a letter and it says to me, Michael Powell is actually a redneck communist, and he's planning on the overthrow of the Queen of England and Rod Anderson. Hallelujah. I don't need any proof. I don't need anything. I just get Dez, Jeff, and Deji and the boys. Say, get him. We're going to hang him by the heel outside. We're going to let, we're going to put syrup on his face and let the pigeons go to town. Hallelujah. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. There didn't need to be evidence. And in other words, again, to be rich was a crime equal to heresy. Therefore, many who had money were accused of heresy or of being favors of heretics that they might be obliged to pay for their opinions. The dearest friends or nearest kindred could not, without danger, serve anyone who was imprisoned on account of religion. To convey to those who were confined even a little straw, in other words, for yourself, or give them a little straw to lay on, or to give them a cup of water was called favoring of the heretics, and they were prosecuted accordingly. <clears throat> the reformation of papistical error very early was projected in France, for in the third century, a learned man named Almericus and six of his disciples were ordered to be burned at Paris for asserting that God was no otherwise present in the sacramental bread than in any other bread, <laughs> and that it was idolatry to build altars or shrines to saints, and that it was ridiculous to offer incense to them. In other words, this is one of the guys that said, there's no greater power in this bread that the Pope has than the bread that we have. It's because they'd read the Bible. In the year 1524, in a town in France called Milden, one John Clark set up a bill on the church door wherein he called the Pope Antichrist. How many of you think that might have caused a problem? For this offense, he was repeatedly whipped and then branded on the forehead. But he wouldn't shut up. Going afterward to Mintz in Lorraine, he demolished some images for which he had his right hand and nose cut off, and his arms and breast torn with pincers. He sustained these cruelties with amazing fortitude. In other words, you know, he, again, these guys are strong in faith. And was even sufficiently cool to sing the 115th Psalm, which expressly forbids idolatry. In other words, you're going to do this because I kicked over the idols. You're going to cut my nose off, cut my ears off. Well, I'm just going to, I got a tongue still. In this case, I'm going to sing the 115th Psalm, which tells you you're wrong and I'm okay. 
After which he was thrown into the fire and burnt to ashes. The Bartholomew Massacre that we spoke of earlier in Paris. On the 22nd day of August, 1572, commenced this diabolical act. I'm really hurrying. Forgive me, guys. I told too many stories. I really am hurrying. I don't, I've only got a little bit more to read. On the 22nd day of August, 1572, commenced this diabolical act of sanguinary brutality. It was intended to destroy at one stroke the root of the Protestant tree. In other words, to get rid of Protestants which had only before partially suffered in its branches. The king of France had artfully proposed a marriage between his sister and the prince of Navarre, who was the captain and prince of the Protestants. He was also called the admiral. You'll see in a minute. This, in other words, this was all done to get to somebody. He plans a marriage to his own sister. Anyhow, the king of France had artfully proposed a marriage between his sister and the prince of Navarre, the captain and prince of the Protestants. This impudent marriage was publicly celebrated in Paris, August 18th, by the Cardinal Bourbon, upon a high stage erected for the purpose. They dined in great pomp with the bishop, supped with the king at Paris. Four days after this, the prince, this same guy, the Admiral Coligny, and he was coming from the council, and he was shot in both arms. He then said to Mar, his deceased mother's minister, Oh, my brother, I do now perceive that I am indeed beloved of my God, since for his most holy sake I am wounded. In other words, that's what you would do. You get shot, and the first thing you do is turn to your friend and say, you know, I know God loves me now because I am wounded for his sake. Amen? Amen. That's what you'd all do. Oh, my brother, I do now perceive that I am indeed beloved of my God, since for his most holy sake I am wounded. Although the Vidam, his friend, advised him to fly, in other words, leave, yet he stayed or he abode in Paris, and he was soon slain, after slain by Bernges, who afterward declared he never saw a man meet death more valiantly than the admiral. The soldiers were appointed at a certain signal to burst out instantly to the slaughter in all parts of the city. When they had killed the admiral, this guy, they threw him out at a window into the street where his head was cut off and sent to the Pope. The savage papist, still raging against him, cut off his arms and his private members, and after dragging him three days through the streets, they hung him by the hills without the city. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful picture? <laughs> it's because you have scripture. You hear me? It's because you're a ref Reformation person. It's because you want to see restoration happen to the things of God. It's because you don't want tradition. You don't want stuff that's just tradition. You want the truth of God. You want a Bible. You want to be able to preach this, not what somebody else says. You want to have the joy and the privilege of looking into the book for yourself. Chapter 10, General Persecutions in Germany. In the year 1631, the generals Tilly and Papinum, having taken that Protestant city by storm, upwards of 20,000 persons without distinction of rank, sex, or age were slain during the carnage, and 6,000 were drowned in attempting to escape over the River Elbe. After this fury had subsided, the remaining inhabitants were stripped naked, severely scourged, that means whipped, had their ears cropped, that means cut in half, <laughs> and being yoked together like oxen, they were turned adrift. The cruelties used by the imperial troops under this Count Tilly of Saxony are thus enumerated. Ha this guy was demonic, man. Half strangling and then recovering the person again repeatedly, that's waterboarding, rolling sharp wheels over the fingers and toes, pinching the thumbs and her vice, forcing the most filthy things down the throat by many which were choked. They would melt lead and melt 
iron until it was liquid and poured down your throat. That would make your lunch, wouldn't it? But think about that. Seriously, they have this device that would hold open the throat, and they would pour boiling lead down your throat because you wanted to have the scriptures. Tying cords around the head so tightly that the blood gushed out of the eyes, the nose, the ears, and the mouth. Fastening burning matches to the fingers, the toes, ears, arms, legs, even the tongue. Putting powder, gunpowder, in the mouth, setting fire to it, by which the head was shattered to pieces. Tying bags of powder to all parts of the body, by which the person was blown up. Drawing cords backwards and forwards through the fleshy parts. Making incisions with bodkins and knives in the skin. Running wires through the nose, ears, lips, etc., hanging Protestants by the legs with their heads over a fire by which they were smoke-dried, hanging up by one arm until it was dislocated, hanging upon hooks by the ribs, forcing people to drink until they burst, baking many in hot ovens, fixing weights to the feet, drawing up several with pulleys, hanging, stifling, roasting, stabbing, frying, racking, ravishing, ripping open, Forgive me, but one of the most horrible ways they would kill people? Yeah. Ladies, close your eyes, ears, close your ears. They would cut the stomach of somebody open. They would pour cornmeal in the stomach and then introduce hogs in. And the hogs would begin to eat the corn and begin to destroy and eat the man. I mean, who would come up with that as an idea to kill somebody? The devil. And again, why are we being killed? Because we wanted to read scriptures for ourselves. Crucifying, immersing, poisoning, cutting off tongues, noses, sawing off the limbs, hacking to pieces, drawing by the heels through the streets. George Scherter, a minister of Salzburg, was apprehended and committed to prison for instructing his flock in the knowledge of the gospel. While he was in confinement, he wrote a confession of his faith, soon after which he was condemned, first to be beheaded and afterward to be burnt to ashes. On his way to the place of execution, he said to the spectators, that you may know I die a true Christian, I will give you a sign. This was indeed verified in a most singular manner, for after his head was cut off, the body lying a short space of time with the belly to the ground, it suddenly turned upon the back, when the right foot crossed over the left, as did the right arm over the left. And in this manner it remained until it was committed to the flames. <laughs> And finally, this is the last little bit, Bishop Ridley and Bishop Latimer. Latimer and Ridley here, there's so many more. And I'm reading just the last little bit of them because it's way too much to share about why they're arrested and all this that happened. Dr. Ridley, this is when they're actually being taken over here to Smithfield. I'm sorry, I think they were, I think it was at Oxford. But they're being ready for the stake. Ridley being unclothed to a shirt, the Smith placed an iron chain about their waist. And Dr. Ridley bid him fasten it securely, his brother having tied a bag of gunpowder about his neck. They did that because hopefully the flames would rise, explode the gunpowder, and kill you quickly. They thought they, you know, they were trying to be nice. Um, <clears throat> also gave some to Mr. Latimer. Dr. Ridley then requested of Lord Williams of fame to advocate, to advocate with the queen the cause of some poor men to whom he had when bishop granted leases by which the present bishop refused to confirm. A lighted faggot was now laid at Dr. Ridley's feet, which caused Mr. Latimer to say, I love this statement. There are being the fire starting underneath their feet, and um, Latimer turns to Ridley and says, Ridley, play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, 
light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. That's one of the heaviest statements in English Protestant history right there. That this sacrifice might light a candle in England that never goes out. That's why you're, you have freedom today. When Dr. Ridley saw the fire flaming up towards him, he cried with a wonderful loud voice, Lord, Lord, receive my spirit. Master Latimer, crying as vehemently on the other side, O Father of heaven, receive my soul. They received the flame as if as it were embracing of it. After that, he had stroked his face with his hands, as it were. He bathed them a little in the fire, and then he soon died, as it appeared with very little pain, little pain or none. Hallelujah. And there's one final slide I hope they put up. What's it say? For the word of God grew and multiplied. All of this stuff happens through all this history. Because they have some scripture in English. Stand up. Hallelujah. Don't worry, we're not going to preach on this next Sunday. Why am I sharing this these last two Sundays? Like I said, you know, the made the majority, and I mean really the major, the majority, the major part of the body of Christ have no knowledge of Bible history whatsoever. Do you hear me? Most of us, we just come to church and you want to hear preaching or a great worship and what have you. But you have no idea of the prices that have been paid, the blood that's been spilled for you to have a book. Seriously. And I'm just saying, folks, I'm just trusting that somehow by God's grace, you will take it. I, I want you to be full of joy. I want you to celebrate. But you also need to understand the Bible says, Behold the goodness and the severity of the Lord. He's been so good. You and I that are alive today, do you have any idea how good you have it? No, you don't. We are responsible. I'm serious, man. You know I love to laugh. I like to laugh. I do. I love it. But we are responsible. We have, we have God's holy word to look to anytime we want to, every day we want to, without persecution or shame. So I'm just asking that we would maybe pray a little bit in our own private time and recognize that we, we, we should bow our knee a little bit more easily. And you know, we, like I said, we get upset when we have a hangnail. Uh, we get upset when somebody says, I don't like you, or they criticize you. Husbands get mad at wives just because they don't cook the meal right. You know what I mean? Julie doesn't butter my toast with my butter. She butters it with her butter. How dare her? Wives get angry at their husband. I mean, it's just, if, if I'm telling you, all you have to do is submit to Jesus. It, I wish you could really hear me. There's no need. There's no need for the pain that most of us go through. There's no need for divorce. There's no need for all this stuff. If the real test of our life is, will I bow my knee to Jesus? Well, I actually believe this is God's holy word. Life isn't, you know, nobody said life would be fair. There's tough times that we go through. But you ain't gone through nothing compared to these people. Nothing. So this is why we should, when we praise God, we should praise God. I mean, we should, 
Praise God. But see, some of us haven't gone through enough yet, and maybe the reason you're going through so much hell is because you haven't understood how blessed you are. Uh, you know, he who is forgiven much, loves much, that truth. You know, be grateful, people. Turn to your neighbor and say, be grateful. Be thankful. Be blessed, because that's who you are. You're blessed at the Lord. So, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that just somehow, some way, we would look back and see what you've done and what people have died for in this land. Tens of thousands, some a quarter of a million people, even in this general area that we're standing in today. In fact, in what is now the garden of Buckingham Palace right there, before it was the garden, the several that were burned at the stake right there, just across the street, we could have smelled the smoke. In the name of Jesus, Father, help us to comprehend what the blood of the martyrs have paid for. In the name of Jesus, may we reverence this scripture, this, this Bible that we have. May we, may we find pleasure in it. May we find joy in it. May we find peace in it. May we recognize it for what it is, the, the holy word of the living God. Forgive us, Father, for being so lazy for being lackadaisical in our attitude. It's because we're flesh and blood and we live in a society today that's again just so anti-Christ it's unbelievable. But Father, help us to just step out of the mold and be different. Help us to be unashamed about being different. Help us to be unashamed about being different and not bowing down to dirty jokes, not bowing down to dirty activity or anything else that's beneath you. We've named your name, and now you expect us to do our best to walk according to that name. So may the love of God flourish in our lives. May we learn how to walk in the love of God and give you glory every minute of our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this over each and every one of you. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Just close your eyes and say this with me, just real short. Father. I will be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might, power which no foe can withstand. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me with might by your Spirit in my inner man so that I might walk worthily of you. So that I might walk worthily of you. In Jesus' name, this is my confession and this is my desire. We believe Amen. you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 